American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we've got a story of a dedicated missionary priest, a rising anti Catholic political movement, and mob violence leading to destruction and a priest being tarred and feathered. It's a bracing tale that makes me think of Mark Twain's tilting of Santiana. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So this story begins in the 1840s in Switzerland. Yes. In that decade, the Protestant Swiss cantons were pressing to take control of the whole of Switzerland, and the Catholic cantons were resisting this centralization of power. The Protestant cantons won, and they expelled the Jesuits from all of Switzerland in short order. And this is where our hero, John Babst, enters the story. Yes, John Babst. He was ordained a Jesuit priest in 1846, and in all of this upheaval, he was forced to flee Switzerland and head for America in 1848. He ended up at the Jesuit headquarters in the Baltimore area, but he spoke no English, so he was sent to minister to the Penobscot natives in Old Town, Maine. His superiors probably figured that if he had to learn a local language anyhow, he might as well go learn a native language along with English. Father Baps, for his part, wasn't keen on the assignment since 10 of his predecessors had been killed, and he wasn't really high on his ability to pick up Penobscot. But he did learn Penobscot, and in time also learned English very well. He had success among the natives, brokering a peace between warring factions and winning many converts. And eventually his ministry came to include local Irish and Canadian Catholics who lived all over Maine. Yes, even while still assigned to work specifically with the Penobscot, he branched out to local American communities. He established rapport with many Protestants in many towns, established a temperance society, and when a cholera epidemic struck, he worked tirelessly over a huge region. But in 1853, Bishop Fenwick of Boston, since Maine was still part of Boston, decided he needed this Jesuit to establish a parish and a presence in the troubled town of Ellsworth. And this is where the heroic aspect comes in. A bit of background on what was happening in America at this time, though. So the massive influx of Irish Catholics was causing problems. Some were legit problems. Other were the slanted opinions of anti-Catholic bigots. It's a complex question. But what is certain is that, thanks to the potato famine in Ireland, Hundreds of thousands of Irish Catholics were pouring into the United States in the 1840s and 1850s, and they generally weren't bringing gentility and education with them. They were usually impoverished, hungry, and frequently unruly. Lots of them stayed in the cities where they arrived, whether New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, or wherever. This was before Ellis Island. But many spread out across the country. And this alarmed a chunk of established Americans, especially Protestants in cities and towns away from the big population centers who hated Catholics. They suspected Catholics of being subjects of the Pope and therefore incapable of being good, liberty-loving Americans. Now, virulent anti-Catholicism has a long and storied history in this country, particularly in New England, going back to colonial days. And while our founding documents and the First Amendment may have made religious discrimination officially illegal, they couldn't stamp out the bigotry that people carried with them. And in the mid-19th century, this bigotry formalized itself in what became known as the Know Nothing Movement. Right. The Know Nothing Movement has multifaceted beginnings. 
but by the end of the 1840s, it was fairly organized in pockets of the Northeast and the South. A secret society was established, and it got its name because members were instructed that if they were questioned about the group's activities, they were to say, I know nothing. So the phrase became their nickname. Eventually, they organized into a political party called the American Party and succeeded in winning elections in local and state races, particularly in the Northeast. Their platform included limiting Catholic immigration, forbidding Catholics from holding political office, and making Catholics wait 20 years before they could become citizens. And the know-nothings had established some political power in parts of Maine. Yes, particularly parts where Father Babst was doing his thing. So in 1853, he was sent to Ellsworth to set up shop. He built a church and a rectory. He also gave a series of lectures on Catholicism, which succeeded in winning converts. The wasps of Ellsworth were not happy, denouncing him from their pulpits, and the know-nothings in town, who had control of the local government, began grumbling. Then things got worse when the local school board approved a regulation that all children in the local schools had to read from the Protestant edition of the King James Bible, which was problematic because it was missing the Deuterocanonicals, and the Catholics used a different translation. Catholic parents complained, and Father Babst formally requested that the Catholic children be permitted to read from a Catholic Bible. The school board refused to make this concession. So Father Babst, did the only sensible thing, he began to build a parish school. Right, and that really got the know-nothings going. In 1854, they took several steps to make it clear that Father Babst and his Catholicism were not welcome. First, in June, they organized a plot to kidnap him. His housekeeper got word of it and warned him, and he was sure to be out of town that night. So all they did that night was break all of the windows in the rectory. But this was enough for Bishop Fenwick. He ordered Father Babs to relocate to Bangor, where the know-nothings weren't in such a force. But that didn't completely satisfy the know-nothings in Ellsworth. In July of 1854, just to emphasize their point, they blew up the school Father Babs had built with gunpowder and attempted to burn down the church. They also adopted an official resolution which stated, quote, If John Babs S.J. be found again on Ellsworth's soil, we will provide for him and try on an entire suit of new clothes such as cannot be found at the shops of any tailor, and then when thus apparelled he be presented with a free ticket to leave Ellsworth upon the first railroad operation that may go into effect. And by that they meant that he would be tarred and feathered and run out on a rail. It did, and they meant it. But with Father Babst out of town and the school blown up, things calmed down for a time. Now, that only lasted a few months. Later that year, in October of 1854, Father Babst had to go to another town and Ellsworth was on the way. He decided to stop in Ellsworth on the Saturday to hear confessions and then offer mass on Sunday. He tried to do it all quietly, but someone tipped off the know-nothings and they got a mob together. Right, and this time they got him. The mob went to the house where he was staying and demanded that he be turned over to him. He voluntarily came out to keep the others in the house from harm. They took him, stripped him naked, beat him, mocked him, and mocked his faith, smeared him with hot tar, covered him with feathers, and then hoisted him on a rail and took him to the waterfront, where they left him unconscious, dead for all they cared, on the wharf. When he regained consciousness, he found some scant coverings for himself and staggered into town where he was found by the Catholics who had organized a search party. They took him in, cleaned him, and tended his injuries. Now, this is the most common telling of events, but there is another version of the story 
that he was tied to a tree after being stripped, beaten, tarred, and feathered, and they were about to burn him alive until the local sheriff showed up and drove them all away at gunpoint. Either way, he was in bad shape and spent a night being cared for by his former Catholic parishioners. The next morning, though badly injured from his traumatic night, Father Babst still offered Mass with many of the Catholic men standing guard outside the church with pitchforks. No one tried anything more. After that, he returned to Bangor rather than continuing to his destination. The people of Bangor, Catholic and Protestant, were horrified by what had happened to him, and they demanded that the state attorney general investigate. And after some delay, the attorney general personally went to Ellsworth to investigate. He convened a special grand jury and presented what he regarded as a very strong case against a handful of men. But since every member of that grand jury was a know-nothing, not a single indictment was handed down. The attorney general left disgusted with the whole city, vowing never to return. There are some sources that say that the attorney general didn't present a particularly strong case and only made a half-hearted attempt at gaining indictments, but that could be a matter of interpretation. Either way, the fact remains that no one was held to account for the assault. Two years later, in 1856, the know-nothings of Ellsworth succeeded in their diabolical goals by burning the Catholic church that Father Babst had built in 1853 to the ground. Nothing was left but a pile of ash. Father Babst remained in Bangor for five more years. In 1855, he built a new church in Bangor for St. John the Evangelist Parish. At the laying of the cornerstone, he included in it one of the tarred and bloodied feathers that had been poured off him that horrible night. Father Babst left Maine in 1859 for assignments in Boston and Worcester, Massachusetts, where he was spiritual director at Holy Cross College, the founding president of Boston College, and superior of the Jesuits in that part of the country. In the late 1870s, Father Babst was sent to Providence, Rhode Island, where the bishop hoped the Jesuits under Father Babst's leadership would establish a college like Boston College. But age and infirmity and the terror of that experience in 1854 caught up with him. He began to break down and show signs of dementia. In his later years, he experienced severe nightmares, and screamed out that his attackers were coming to get him through the windows. Father Babst died in 1887 at Mount Hope in Maryland. One of those at his side as he lay dying wrote, quote, as he lay on his bed after receiving the last sacrament, calm and apparently unconscious of everything on earth, an almost heavenly peace rested on his countenance. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com give helps make sure American Catholic History and all of the StarQuest podcasts remain available. To learn more about Father John Babst and the Know Nothings, to find previous episodes and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.